So it's been a few days since we did the story, so just to, we're, we're mamish smack in the middle of the story, so just to go over a few details. We said that there was this chassid who came to uh, Lubavitch asking the Tzemach Sadek that his son shouldn't be drafted, and the Tzemach Sadek kept saying there's nothing he could do, I'm sorry, and Shemayim it says, and he, he, the, this chassid kept asking the Rebbe Maharash to ask his father if he could help him, and he kept saying no, no, no. Uh, until finally comes the, um, they opened up a safer, uh, the pasuk im of talve, right? That if you do acts of tzedakah, that can rip up a gzardin. And so the Rebbe Maharash realized that there was something going on here, and probably that means that the young man's going to be saved. And talk a few days later, the news reached Lubavitch that this young guy showed up at the draft office. And for some unknown reason, the doctor said that he sent, sent him home. He said, oh, you can't join the army, sorry. And uh, everyone was happy to hear the news, the Rebbe, the Maharash. But the Maharash had to find out what was the act that saved the boy. So sometime later, the Maharash went to Vitebsk. He would get, uh, twice a year, he would get examined by the doctor Vitebsk, the famous doctor that we mentioned so many times already, Dr. Heibenthal, who helped out so many of the Rabbeim. Um, so as always, he used every moment to, as much as possible. So he took the opportunity to visit this chassid at his home. And after greeting him warmly and thanking Hashem for his constant kindness to Marash, asked, did you do anything special on the day that your son was examined? And the boy's parents looking at it like, I don't know, we don't, we can't think of anything. Of course, you know, we, we sat and we davened and we begged Hashem to help us. We said to Hillim, we visited the farm of our ancestors. We begged them to intercede and Shemayim on our behalf. But other than that, I don't really remember. We don't remember anything that we did special. And the Marash wasn't satisfied with his answer. And he kept pushing them. He goes, think it over. Was there anything? So after giving it some thought, the Chas's wife said, you know what? I do remember something that might be worth mentioning. That morning, a beggar knocked on our door asking for some food. And we were already at the door preparing to go to the cemetery to, to ask our relatives, to, the ones that are buried there, to... Uh, to help us in Shemayim. So we asked this beggar if he could come back later. However, the beggar continued begging us. He said, please, I'm starving. I haven't eaten in so long. So hearing his pain and desperation, and since we weren't in the mood of eating anyways, so we had a whole meal prepared for us that we mamash weren't going to eat. So I, we just gave him the whole thing, which he ate gratefully. And the marash said, that's it. The schus of feeding a starving id is what saved your son, right? Like, the, like the, what they read in the Medrash, a life for a life. You save that, Yid, Hashem will save someone in your family. And he then benched them that they should be able to continue helping others and, and went on his way. The Marash had just learned a very important lesson. Sometimes a tzaddik does not have the ability to give an individual or a community a bracha. However, he could still try to help them anyways. His father had seen and said that he saw in Shemayim he does not have the ability to help this person to save the boy. 
through giving a bracha. But he tried to help in a different way. By maybe making Hashem, uh, not, not, not like Hashem needs reminding, but like try to say, Hashem, you know, maybe they did some act of kindness. Right? So it's not the Rebbe's bracha, but it's the Rebbe helping. So that, this story shows how the Maharaj helped others with his body, right? That Imamish took time of his own, and, and, which is very precious to him, to, to help someone else. Additionally, the Maharaj and his Rebetzin helped others with money using uh, you know, the Baruch Hashem. They were very, very wealthy uh, to assist other Yidin. So, as mentioned above, the Tzemach Tzedeks basically supported all of his children and their wives, uh, giving each one a monthly allowance. And everyone knew that once he had given this amount, whatever it was per month, they would not be given any additional money that month under any circumstances. And if someone used up the money early, so you got to deal with it. Everyone has to live with a budget. You don't just swipe your credit card whenever you want something and then say, I wonder how I'm going to pay for it. Oh, who cares? Right? No, you have to live within a budget. If you can't afford it, don't get it. One Friday night, shortly after the marriage of the Marash and Rebetz and Rivka, Semach Tzedek noticed that she wasn't wearing the, her jewelry that, she had been give, that, that had been given to her for a wedding. And when he asked his son about it, the Marash was like, I don't know, I'll ask her. And the Maharaj spoke to his wife, and he goes back to his father. He says, okay, this is what happened. One day earlier this week, a poor person came to our house asking for assistance. And my wife was more than happy to help, and she graciously gave him some money. And this morning, a few more people came to the door asking for assistance. But she didn't have any money left to give them. Instead, she asked them to return home at a later time. As soon as they left, she took a piece of jewelry and she pawned it. She went to the, the pawn shop as a, as a store basically where you can give them stuff and they give you money. So usually jewelry, things like that, expensive stuff. Like nobody pawns a pair of pants. Right? It's just something that people would want. So um, and then she had this extra money to, to give to the poor people so that they could have an enjoyable Shabbos. It's a Marzedek was extremely pleased to hear that the, the money he was giving them was being spent on others. So although as a rule he did not provide any additional money once you spent the money that was given to him, but for this he gave the Rebbe Maharash the money needed to redeem the jewelry. And Taka the Maharash redeemed it but by the time next Shabbos arrived, this uh, the, a piece of jewelry, or either the same one or a different one, or two pieces of jewelry, same, was missing again. And this became the weekly thing. Before Shabbos, Rebbe Rifko would basically pawn her jewelry to have money to give out to poor people. And, and the Marash would... Uh, and, and after Shabbos, her husband would go, uh, whatever, on Sunday, he would go to the pawn shop and he would redeem all the, uh, buy back all the stuff that she sold. Right? And this went on for a long, a long time. And whenever the Maharaj had to leave Lubavitch for an extended period of time, 
So the, the pawn brokers, the, 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 the pawn shops, right? Because he didn't come every Sunday, let's say he's gone for three months. So that means three months worth of jewelry was sitting there waiting for him when he got back. Now they made sure not to give it to anybody else because they knew the Maharash would come and, and, and buy back. Short, uh, sometime after his marriage, the Maharash began dealing daily on the stock market. Buying a stock is basically a, 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 a tiny piece of a company. So if, let's say if you own a stock in Tesla or Google or Apple, right? And the company does very well. Now, if you just own one stock, that's not going to get you much. You buy thousands of stocks, whatever the number is. And eventually, you, uh, you could make a lot of money. You could also lose a tremendous amount of money. Um, so he started dealing on the stock market, and he, he made a lot of money, the Rebbe Marash. Additionally, he won the national lottery. Like, so, you know, in America, we have, like, two different, two big lotteries in America that are the biggest ones. Um, and that also made him extremely rich. So from then on, everyone knew that his house was a place to go. If you needed money, right, he's the richest guy in Lubavitch. Go to him. Um, in addition to the tzedakah that he and his wife gave with the open hand, if let's say somebody was too embarrassed to ask for tzedakah, so he would give it to him as a loan. Uh, he said, oh, pay it back to me whenever you feel like it. And with this, the Marash also helped people with their money. The third way of helping someone, so we said so far, we, we said there are three ways to help another year. There's begufai with your body, which we spoke about, with your money, and benashe, with your soul. So the third one is going to be discussed later. How we're going to see many situations where the Marash put his own well being aside especially when he was Rebbe, and was prepared to uh, jeopardize his health and his very life for the sake of the Eden. Moving on to the uh, community work that the Maharaj did before he became Rebbe. So, in 1855, this is seven years after the conference of 1848, that the Tzemach Tzedek went to, so the Marash was called to represent his father at another conference. Um, and he met with the Tsar's ministers who were pressing forward with the government's plans to print some of the Maskilim's books and to make them that they have to be taught in, in the curriculum in all the Jewish schools. And they were furious that although 12 years passed since the conference of 1843 that the Tzemach Tzedek uh, went to, the decisions that had been reached at that time, nothing happened with them. And although the rabbi of Lubavitch had signed off on the agreement, right, because you could sign off all you want, but if behind the scenes he's doing everything he can to stop it, you know, that changes things. So the Marash was accompanied to the meeting by the Chassid Rebaran of Belinich, who competently carried out the Maharash's decisions, while Reb Shmuel Brin, 
talk about him later a lot, he served as his secretary. Now, in addition to representing his father at the conference in, in Petterburg, the Tzemach Tzedek also appointed him to be in charge of uh, all community matters, especially anything to deal with government officials. He also appointed, he appointed the Chassid of Shmuel Brin to serve as the Maharash's uh, permanent secretary. So it wasn't like the Maharash was the only one who uh, got involved in community matters, but what, what, the difference between him and his brothers is that his brothers, when they got involved, it was more like dealing with Hasidim, community matters, whereas the Maharash was dealing with government officials. And he went a few more times to represent his father by a few more conferences. In 1858, the, the Maharash traveled to Kiev and Petersburg to discuss... Uh, with different officials, certain issues that were affecting the country's Yidden. And from there, he journeyed to Italy and Germany to meet with very Chasheva influential people, both Yidden and Goyim, and discuss with them how they would help uh, get rid of the suffering of the, for the Yidden in Russia. The Maharaj didn't want anyone in the government to be suspicious of why he was traveling outside of the country. Uh, they didn't, with who he's meeting with, um, what are they discussing? So the official reason why he's traveling, oh, medicine, the best doctors in Europe, oh, this is Germany and Italy. I got to visit the mineral springs, which he did do all those things. But that was all a front. It was all a show to what his real purpose of the whole trip was. Uh, meaning... The Maharash really did need doctors and springs and stuff like that. But you could have found that stuff in Russia if you really wanted to. Um, and he used this time, he met with very influential bankers and other individuals. So two years later in 1860, Maskilim informed on Reb Aaron of Belinich, we mentioned before, went with the, the Rebbe to one of the conferences, uh, Reb Maharash. And they claimed that he was ignoring the instructions and intentionally creating delays in uh, implementing the decisions of the Tsar's ministers. And Reb Aaron of Belinich was arrested. And the Tzemach Sedek appointed Reb Yitzchak Rubashov and Reb Nason Ben Shleim Manasson to replace him. So we'll get back to uh, Reb Yitzchak Rubashov in a second. So how did the Maskilim succeed in this, in, in getting uh, Reb Aaron, uh, basically, that they got the government to arrest him? So after the Maharash returned on a trip from Germany that year, he arranged a meeting with a, member of a number of individuals involved in Jewish community work. And they included Chabad Hasidim, the Hasidim of other Rebbes in, uh, in Ukraine, Maskilim, businessmen, Everyone. And at the meeting, the Maharash related one of the details of something that happened to him when he was out of the country and prepared an agenda for their future work. A short while later, armed with this information that they just learned, the Maskilim informed Andreb Aaron Belinich to the authorities. And as a result of this unfortunate event, the Maharash began conducting almost all his community activities 
in total secrecy. So until then, he didn't really, he, it wasn't like he went around plastering the whole world what he was doing, but it wasn't like such a secret. Like he did mention things by meetings, but after he, he got, he realized because they went and informed because of something that he said, they went and informed on Rabar and Belinich, they said, forget it. From now on, we're going top secret mode. And no one, he didn't want anyone to suffer because of the work that he was doing. Um, and, and by the way, the Rebbe, our Rebbe, said, one of the reasons, this is one of the reasons why we know almost nothing about the Rebbe Maharash. Because everything was done in such secrecy. So just to go back for a second. So we mentioned Rabbi Yitzchak Grubashov. So you probably might have heard of that there was once a president of, uh, of Israel, Zalman Shazar, right? Shazar, his, his real name was Schneer Zalman, the Shazar, Shin Zion Reish. He, that's a Rosh Tevis for his original name, Schneer Zalman Rubashov. And uh, when he left Russia for Eretz Yisrael, he changed the family name to Shazar. The Friedrich Rebbe once sent a message to Shazar asking him to, <coughs> to intercede with the Prime Minister Ben-Gurion about a community thing. And he finished the message by saying, just as my grandfather, who's the grandfather of the Friedrich Rebbe, the Rebbe Maharash, wasn't disappointed by your grandfather's work, who's his grandfather? This guy, Rabbi Yitzchak Grubashov, this chassid. For the well-being of the, of the Jewish people, I trust I won't be let down by your dedication to the well-being of our people. Right, so if, if, by his caver, it says Zalman Shazar, but I, I think in parentheses it will say it says Schneer. I think I was there. I was there once years ago. Um, right, so the, 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 he came, Amish came from Chassidim. Anyways, we'll continue later. <coughs>